0: Hello, I'm Brian Foster, and today I'm talking about Spiritism. Today is January 2nd, 2022, our first program of the year. Before we begin, let's have a short prayer. Dear Jesus, thank you for helping all of us and guiding us. And please, please help us open our hearts so we can do and perform and create and make our spiritual journey for the year 2022 and make real progress on this earth in our physical form. So when we come back to the spirit world we'll be ready to even rise higher and ascend higher and higher in the hierarchy of spirit amen so today i am talking about the of course uh, we're doing every sunday uh spiritist review 1858 and we're going to have three main topics conversation with the newly dead rich man and Conversation with a Suicide, and then Louis XI, the Prudent, uh, talking about when he poisoned a duke. So this is, uh, again, very interesting. And just to let you people know, if, the, if you hear noise behind me, there is a big thunderstorm uh, going on. So I hope I don't lose connections, which sometimes happens. Not often, but sometimes happens. So uh, just be prepared. And, of course, if you hear noise, that is the thunderstorm. So let's, let's begin. Okay, so this first one is Family Conversations from Beyond the Grave. Mr. Morrison. Last March, an English newspaper published the following story with respect to Mr. Morrison, who had died recently, leaving behind a fortune of 100 million francs. This is 1858. It's a lot of money. According to the paper, he was held captive as a singular obsession Over the last two years of his life, he thought himself reduced to extreme poverty, having to endure manual work to earn his daily bread. Family and friends alike had acknowledged the uselessness of trying to bring him back to his senses. His conviction was this. He was poor. He had not even a cent left and had to work in order to survive. Every morning he was given a hoe and set to work in his own gardens. Later, he sought to receive his modest daily payment, which he received with pleasure. His spirit would be in peace and his mania satisfied. Had they bothered him, he really would have become an upset man. We request the Almighty for permission to communicate with the spirit of Mr. Morrison, who had recently died in England, leaving a considerable fortune. So this is a medium's meeting, and now they wanted to talk to him. And the answer is he is here. He goes, do you remember the state you were in over the last two years of your existence? Yes, it is always the same. Has your spirit resented the aberration of the faculties during your life after your death? The answer is yes. St. Louis, this is the the kingly saint who uh, also helped organize a lot of the uh, spirit's book under the leadership of Jesus Christ. So... So he is there also helping run the mediums meeting, talking uh, guiding the mediums and guiding the spirit of this Mr. Morrison. St. Louis complements the answer by spontaneously saying, detached from the body, the spirit feels for some time the compression of the bonds, meaning that he still feels like he's in the physical body. Question three: Thus, your spirit did not recover immediately its faculties after plenitude after death. The answer is no. Where are you now? Behind Ermits Ermits which must be a woman's name. Number five, are you happy or unhappy? Something is missing. I don't know what. I search. Yes, I suffer. So again, number six, why, did, why do you suffer? And the answer from St. Louis is he suffers for the good deeds he did not do. And the previous... Question number five: Are you happy or unhappy? I've seen this in medium meetings too. I'm not a medium; I sit in the back of the room, but I, I listen into this. And most of these people who are newly dead—most of them come to the medium meetings I was at in Cate uh, neighborhood of Rio de Janeiro—are there because they don't know they're dead and they need help and to, you know, to kind of break them out of that. And of course, he again—he's not quite sure what he's at and he's a bit confused. And I've, I've seen this myself. Number seven, why the mania of judging yourself poor when in reality you such a great fortune? The answer is I was. In reality, rich is the one who has no needs. Number eight, where did you take the idea from that you had to work to survive? I was crazy and still am. Well, that's an interesting answer. How have you come in such a crazy state? The answer is why does it matter? I, I had chosen such atonement. What is the origin of your fortune? The answer is, why is it important to you? Number 11, however, however, wasn't your invention supposed to alleviate humanity? And the answer is, and make me rich. Number 12, how did you employ your fortune when you were perfectly rational? With nothing. I believe I enjoyed it. Number 13, why would God give you fortunes that you would not make it useful to others? The answer is, I had chosen The trial now that is where the spirits book which i urge everybody to read uh, you can download it in pdf just type in alan space kardec a-l-l-a-n kardec k-a-r-d-e-c space pdf and you can find it pdf also on my uh blog nwspiritism.com you can download the audible files and in youtube you can find the playlist called the spirits book and i go through every chapter i read every chapter so so this now to go back to what i was talking about i chose the trial was he his answer and the spirits tell us and they ask, what's the hardest trial and they go well the trial of the rich and of course many of us would say well i like that trial and, and at one point in time we will have that trial and the trial is hard because when you're rich you can just be any way you want and people will let you be that way it's you have too much freedom it's just like being too pretty too beautiful too charismatic uh people do things for you that you really are better off doing for yourself it's like excessively spoiling your children and of course if they ever had to go out in the real world they wouldn't be ready for that that was you know your fault and this is what the problem with being rich is you can do all sorts of terrible things and have no repercussions which of course we see here in our culture today so it is a hard trial you have to keep your humility you have to keep grounded, you have to keep morality, and you have to know that a lot of people are going to try and lie and cheat to you and take your money. That's part of the part of the uh, what comes with being rich. Number 14. The one who enjoys a fortune acquired by his work is not more excused to be attached to it than the other one who was born in opulence and never experienced necessity. The answer is less. St. Louis compliments that one knows the suffering which he did not alleviate. So he must have tried to, invented something that was important, but then he never used his money for good. 15, do you remember the existence preceding the one you had just left? The answer is yes. What were you then? A worker. You told us that you are unhappy. Do you see an end to the suffering? The answer is no. And then St. Louis adds, it's too early. So when people pass over, they think that their punishment, or what they call punishment edification, will go on forever like when they are sent let's say to the lower zone or to the dark abyss which is the type of purgatory no one's in there forever they're part of the uh, you know and of course they anybody can get out by changing their character and personality and their attitude they start becoming nice to people instead of trying to dominate other people but they believe that it's forever so the the spirit world lets them believe that that kind of add to the The little bit of pain that's occurring in their mind so they'll actually make uh, big changes. Number 18. That depends on whom? And the answer is on me. That is what I was told by the one who is here. That's very true. Yep. Your end of your suffering depends on you. Number 19. Do you know the one who is here? Because you call him Louis. He goes 20. Do you know that he was king in France in the 13th century? No. I only know him through you. I'm thankful for what he has taught me. So there is a high spirit who's helping everyone. And, this is, and you read this over and over again. These people who are high spirits, kind, generous, they'll, they'll help anyone they possibly can. They really, And that's what is, is, um, uh, is what, what's the word I'm looking for? Oh, that's emphasized in the spirit world is your duty to service to others. And that's what Jesus tried to teach when he when he washed feet, right? And you know, the apostles going like, "What's going on?" And he goes, "Well, you know, he you know, he was the highest, serves the most." I'm paraphrasing, but that is really what it is that people are humble and they want to serve, they want to help. Number twenty one, do you believe in another corporeal existence? The answer is yes. If you have number twenty two, if you have to be reborn in a corporeal life, on whom shall your future social position depend? The answer is on me, I suppose. I've chosen so many times that this can only depend on me. And here's the observation by Alan Kardec. The words chosen so many times are characteristic. His present state proves that, despite the numerous existences, he has not progressed much, and that for him is always a restart. Number twenty three, which social position was would you choose if you could restart? Low is the answer. Progress is safer. One is only in charge of oneself. Very, very true. Here's question 24. This is to St. Louis. Wouldn't there be a feeling of selfishness in the choice of a humble position where one only carries the burden of oneself? The answer is nowhere one has the burden of only oneself. Man responds to all those around him who surround him, and not only for those whose education was entrusted to him, but also for the others. The example does everything wrong number 25 this is back to morrison and this, uh, before i leave that this is true i mean no matter what position you're born into um that is you're always you're always interconnected oh let me uh, show this question here just noticed. okay this is uh a, a question i was told by three mediums i'm going to be very wealthy in the near future it's all I've been thinking about lately, nothing yet, but I want to help others with my fortune. So, yes, and that's the way to think, and and keep yourself grounded. And um, in one of our, a long time ago, before I ever met my wife, my wife was told that she was going to be wealthy. And I you know never believed anything she said until things she started saying, other things started saying came true, and that's when I found spiritism. But what we found out, which I believe, because I'm still not wealthy, uh, is that we are wealthy by um, being able to uh, explore and discover and work on spiritism. So there's different ways of wealth. But if you can keep yourself grounded and humble and help others, and um, then you're in great shape. It's, it's a hard trial. If you've been told by three mediums, then I would say that's a definitely a uh, choice. And you're going to have that choice, not when you're born, but later in life, which is actually a good way, because that way you have a good foundation, a moral foundation. So if you can keep that and keep helping others, even though, and just be prepared, because we've seen this, when you help others, don't expect thanks, don't expect gratitude, just help others for that sake, because um, people, you know, people are people, and don't expect anything back, just Help others the best you can. Anyway, thank you for that comment. It's interesting. Okay. Um, uh, let me carry on. Number 25, to Morrison. We thank you for your kind answers and pray that God will give you the strength to endure your trials. And the answer is, you help me, I learn. And, that's, and that is in a nutshell why they have these mediums meetings and why they have medium meetings in spiritual centers? Because one would think that Morrison could go and talk to St. Louis, and and listen to him, and then feel better and go, oh, okay. But the people who've just recently passed over, they 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 connect better to a physical human being, and that's why the spirits will take them into these mediums' meetings because. They want, because they, they want that closeness, they want that uh, that example and that, that confirmation from a physical human being. A spirit, they're not on the same level. It's like one kid talking to another kid. kid. Your child may talk to you and go, I don't know about that. They'll talk to other children, of course, who know nothing, but they'll believe them before they believe you. And that's kind of the same thing. And here's the observation by Alan Kardec. The state of the spirit is easily recognized from the answers above. They are short, and when not monosyllables, they have something of somber and vague. A melancholic madman would not speak differently. That persistence on the aberration of the ideas is a notable fact, but which is not constant, or sometimes present a completely diverse character. We will have the occasion of giving several other examples where the different forms of madness are studied. Okay, now the next one is, Family Conversations from Beyond the Grave, The Suicide of the Samaritan Baths. And just before I leave that first meeting, and this is something where mediums, and of course, people like the want to just told me that three mediums told is me going to be wealthy. Uh, usually, mediums won't tell you that. Now, I've just said that my wife found out, but that was during a... a a medium, actually, the medium told her that too and during her NDE. But usually that doesn't happen. Usually uh, mediums will connect with spirits <clears throat> on their own level. And therefore, the lower the level of spiritually a medium, they'll talk to a lower level spirit. And a lower level spirit will tell you things like you're going to be wealthy or your treasures buried uh, somewhere or something like that. Higher spirits will mostly talk to you about your moral, and uh, how to improve yourself. And they'll talk to you like that teacher in uh, in seventh or eighth grade who said, come on, uh, I expect more from you, right? And kind of the one you probably didn't like. But as you got older, you found, oh, I, I learned from her or him. So that's usually the way they, they talk to you. And they don't give you a lot of uh, flattery. And so the same thing. So if you are going to medium and you get a lot of flattery, then you I would suspect the message. And, and this is the other message I want to give is for mediums. And mediums really need if you should read the mediums book, I'm sure many have by Alan Kardec, the book of mediumship. And you need to understand. The level of the spirit you're talking to, because I've seen you know many books, many channeling from media uh, by mediums from spirits who talk about the universe and what's going on, and I go, I don't think so, and I believe that they're talking to uh, slightly ignorant, not mean spirited or anything like that, but mediums will channel, uh, so, uh, spirits will channel through mediums, and they will propound on some wisdom they have, even though they don't know, right? Because it's just. Uh, Spirits are the same as humans on earth. They're ones that will just talk and go on and on and not know what they're talking about. And the same thing will happen as mediums are channeling the spirit. And many mediums will just automatically assume, oh, but this spirit must be a, a genius because he's a spirit. No, that doesn't happen that way. So just, you know, something to keep in mind. Okay. The Suicide of the Samaritan Baths. The newspapers have recently published the following fact. Yesterday, April 7th, 1858, around 7 p.m., a man about 50 years old, decently dressed, showed up at the Samaritan house asking for a bath. A servant, worried about the customer's silence for more than two hours, decided to enter the bathroom to make sure that he was okay. He then witnessed a horror- horrific spectacle. the unfortunate man had cut his own throat with a clasp knife, the bathwater tinted by blood. His identity could not be established, and his body was transported to the morgue. We thought we could have a useful lesson for our own instruction on talking to the spirit of that man. We then invoked on April 13th, just six days after his death. Now, that's awfully fast after his death. Usually, they're very confused. And also, this is usual, not all the time. So, uh, And there's always exceptions, whatever I sold But uh, suicide, someone who commits suicide. They will have to stay in the lower zone until the the planned date of their death. So if this guy died when he was 50, but he was planned to die when he was 60, he would have to spend 10 years in the lower zone. Now, there's our exceptions to that. There are poor innocent people that are driven to suicide by terrible spirits and other humans. Uh, this one woman who, she had a baby, her husband threw the baby in the river, drowned, and then beat her up, and all these things. Well, she committed suicide. Well, she was driven to that. She didn't have to stay on the earth until her planned date because it was just too horrible of a condition. So there's always exceptions. But, uh, But usually, as a general rule, this is how it works. And again, he would be very confused that soon after his death. Okay, let me go with question one, or statement one. I asked the Almighty God to give permission to the spirit of the person committed suicide on April 7, 1858, in the Samaritan bath to communicate with us. The answer is wait, and after some time, here he is. Here is the observation by Alan Kardec. In order to understand this, it is necessary to know that in all regular sessions there is a familiar spirit of the medium or of the family who is always present without the need to call him. It is him who sends for the evoked ones, and according to the more or less elevated condition. Serves as a messenger or gives orders to spirits who are inferior when our meetings have miss Hermann's Defoe as the interpreter it is always the spirit of st. Louis who voluntarily takes on that task It was him who gave the answer above So it sounds like Alan Kredek was at this meeting And of course the same is true in spiritus uh, Mediums meeting there is always a spirit in charge of the meeting and what will happen and then let's say the spirit means where they help obsess or they help lost spirits on earth or are, our are errant spirits. What will happen is they will cordon off the medium and not let just any spirits in there and talk to mediums. They only let it, the spirits in that they are the mediums have sent for. So they control the condition because if you had a lot of mediums and you had no control over the condition. You'd have all sorts of spirits try to come in there and say bad things, or try to take over the medium, or interrupt the ceremony, or hurt the other poor spirits. who are trying to actually give help. All these things would would happen, and therefore that's why there's always a person, a spirit in charge of the meetings, and they actually have a a, a security perimeter around the room that only allows those in that they allow that they wish for. Okay, number two. Where are you now? And the answer is, I don't know. Tell me where I am. And the answer is at uh, Ruvaloy uh, 35, Belay Royal, In a meeting of persons who accompany with spiritist studies, who occupy with spiritual studies, and that are benevolent with you. Tell me if I'm still alive. I suffocate in the coffin. Now, again, this is a very uh, usual answer. In fact, in the... Uh, Memoirs of a suicide by Camille Bronco. He felt the same way. The spirit, the you're you're connected by the spirit. Let me bring this up so you can see it. Because I want people to understand how this works. Okay. When you're here on earth, you have a physical body. You're actually composed of three things: a spirit, a paraspirit, and a body. The paraspirit is is connected to every cell of your body and then you've got a, a little cord or a little message pipe let's say where you put stuff and it attaches to your spirit so your spirit mind knows so much more than your physical mind it's faster it's more it, it's more encompassing smarter everything and therefore a lot of like as example when you have dreams you can't interpret what you see because your physical mind has no understanding of all the things that your spirit mind does okay when you end your life before your planned life, so let's say uh, this good uh, this guy who died in the, in the Samaritan house was supposed to die at 60. That is when, if he had died of natural causes or an accident or whatever it was planned for him to die of, his paraspirit would have disengaged from his body naturally. And also, as Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. If you are have done good, you're a higher You have good spirit friends. They will help you uh, disengage your paraspirit from your body and help you up to a very safe place. But if you kill yourself, your paraspirit says, no, I'm not due from here yet. And therefore, you're still attached. Your spirit still attached via your paraspirit to your body. And your body decays away. And you have to be there and witness that. It's not a nice thing. It's a horrible thing. That's why you always pray for them to, to get released. But they go through quite a few months of, uh, unless someone rescues them, uh, a horrible condition because they're they're still connected. They can still kind of wander around the cemetery, a lot of them do. Um, and there's always acceptance of everything I say, but I'm just saying that's kind of a general thing of what happens. It's, it's not a, a pleasant experience. So... That's why you want to say never end your life early because you're here on a program that you signed up for. Usually you've signed up for that and you need to follow it through. And the problem is then if you leave early, then the next life, you got to restart everything again. And you're going to have the same uh, pull of wanting to do that at the same around the same age. And you're going to have to. You're going to have to fight that off. So I just want to make sure you do that because I think that's an uh, an important important point. So uh, you're here for a purpose, and some, sometimes the purpose is really tough, and your trial is really tough. And God bless you because you know I can all I can say all the words I want to say. We're just here for a short while. We're mortal. Eighty years on Earth is a short time, but Being in the middle of these traumatic episodes is not easy. Okay, I'll carry on. Uh, Number four, who invited you to come to us? I feel relieved. So he didn't even answer the question. He's just trying to, um, he's just answering. Number five, what made you commit suicide? Am I alive? No, I'm in my body. You don't know how much I suffer. I suffocate. May a compassionate hand come to show me the end. So, of course, I've seen this too. People don't know they're dead because they're still them, right? In fact, let's read the observation. His soul, although separated from his body, is still completely embedded by what we would call the maelstrom of the corporeal matter. The earthly idea is still vivid. He does not believe he is dead. And, of course, there are spirits that will help a lot of people um, who die and they don't know they're dead, and then they'll come down and say, hey, you know you're dead because the the person will die and they will go to their home and they'll say hey i'm here and no one it's like they, they look right up right into their eyes and and they don't see him and they go why don't they see me because he they feel they're solid they feel themselves they're solid they may feel hungry although they shouldn't be but their mind is still working on the physical plane they may feel hungry or thirsty and um they don't know they're dead so, and I've seen a lot of that, unfortunately. God bless everyone, every one of them. Number six, why, ha- why haven't you left any identification? He says, I'm abandoned. I fled the suffering to find torture. Number seven, you still have the same motives to remain incognito. Yes, you don't stick a hot spear in a bleeding wound. Can you tell us your name, age, profession, and address? No, not at all. No. Do you have a family a wife and children and the answer is I was abandoned nobody loved me number 10 what have you done for not being loved by anybody how many like me a man can be abandoned at the heart of his own family when no one loves him well that's very true it's very sad have you experienced any hesitation to commit suicide I was thirsty of death I long for the rest and that is a great misnomer you don't get the rest it's worse Number 12, how come the idea of the future did not make you renounce the plan? I no longer believed in the future. I was hopeless. Future is hope. So whenever these are horrible uh, trials and tribulations, there's always something will come along. In fact, in the books, uh, Memoirs of a Suicide, a great book by Yvonne Pierre. They had a hospital that helped suicides, and they took these people off suicides after they were their time was up. And then they, they gave them classes. And, they, and one of the classes, they said, look, we give you these trials and tribulations to elicit certain stimuli from you, but they don't go on for eternity. If you just waited a week, a month, a half a year, a year, the situation would have resolved itself. So that know that, because that, that's the structure of your life, right? The structure of your life is, and, and your life isn't here to have a good time. Your life is here to go through separate classes in the school of life. To, for what end? To make yourself a perfect spirit, to, to, to take out your primitive emotions and replace those with civilized emotions, love, charity, fraternity, and get rid of hate and anger and envy and, and pride and selfishness. So those are all things. That's why, so you know your education. You don't stop when you're done with with school. No, no, it's just more. You're always learning, and you have no choice no matter because they the things will happen to you no matter if you want them or not. And you really most of your free will. You do have free will, but your free will here on this planet of atonement is your choices made within those trials. As you get higher and higher planets, you have more you have more scope of your free will. Number 13, what reflections you made by feeling the extinction of life? I did not make any. I felt, but life did not extinguish. My soul is bonded to the body. I did not die. However, I feel the worms devouring me. And, of course, I hear you hear that a lot on this thing. Which feeling did you experience once death was complete? Is it complete? Was it painful the moment when life extinguished? Less painful than later. Then only the body suffered. So, uh... Leon Denis another great spiritist writer said that birth is actually more painful than death death isn't that bad and in fact a lot of times you read where people will die uh, like like the the book I'm reading on Tuesday where this man who tried to rescue this little street urchin ran into the center of the street this is back in uh, late 19th century England and he was run over by horse and courage and they both woke up on a grassy knoll. They never felt any pain or anything. The other, the other example is uh, Christians in the Roman Colosseum as they were, you know, being killed by animals. The 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 Christians there, I think some of them or most of them, I don't know what percentage. They would the animal would come and you know get them in whatever grip they have, but then they would just be released from their body. They, they wouldn't feel the pain anymore. So uh and then they would have people help them oh okay come on you come to us we'll take you to a rest area and you can rest and uh and you're done with that life now right and that's what you have to think of it. so and then st louis continued answer the spirit unloaded a burden that oppressed him he felt the ecstasy of the pain and questioned st louis is this a state which always follows suicide the answer is yes The spirit of the person who commits suicide attached to the body until the end of his life. Natural death is the weakening of life. Suicide suddenly interrupts it. Question. Will this state be the same in every accidental death which abbreviates the duration of the natural life irrespective of one's will? The answer is no. What do you understand by suicide? The spirit can only be blamed for his actions. So it doesn't include an accident like a car accident something like that. Observation. We had prepared a series of questions which we proposed to address to the spirit of the man about his new existence. Based on his answers, they lost their meaning. It was evident to us that he had no consciousness of the situation. The only thing he could describe to us was his suffering. And I've seen that, right? You can barely, he can't communicate very well. But very fuzzy. Such doubt about death is very common among the recently dead, and mainly on those who, during life, did not elevate their souls above a matter at first sight it is a bizarre phenomenon, but explained very naturally. If we have if we ask a person taken for the first time to hypnotism if they are asleep, the answer is almost always no, and the answer is logic. It is the questioner who badly formulates the question using an improper term. The idea of sleep in the common is connected to the suspension of all sensitive faculties. Well the hypnotists I'm, I'm uh replacing One word with a word that more people understand. Who thinks and sees, that is aware of his moral freedom, doesn't believe that he sleeps, and with effect he doesn't sleep in the conventional use of the term. This is why he responds that he is not asleep until he familiarizes with this new way of understanding things. The same happens with a man who just died. For him, death was the nothing. Well, as it happens to the hypnotist, he sees, feels, and speaks, or the uh, hypnotized, I should say, not hypnotist. Thus, for him, life continues, and he says so, until he has acquired consciousness of his new state. Now, I was reading where, uh, when people are hypnotized, it's really where the hypnotist is, they they kind of fool the paraspirit, and they connect to that paraspirit, which just connects to every cell of the body, and they find a different way of communicating to the paraspirit, and of course, that paraspirit still only has a certain amount of communication with the spirit, but... But that's why a lot of people are hypnotized. They can talk about past lives. It's like past lives regression. When you're hypnotized, your communication with your spirits is much fuller. And you can you can inquiry about the past lives. Now, you know what? That person, that spirit may only know a certain portion of their past lives. You're not allowed to know all your past lives unless you are have the spiritual maturity to uh, deal with that. Now, why do I say that? Because you know, you think, well, yeah, don't I want to know? I was the, you know, the queen of Sheba or something like that. The answer is a lot of times no, because you, the bigger probability that instead of you were a king, queen, prince, or princess, or whatever, is that you were a thief, a torturer, a murderer, and you did horrible things in your past lives. I had, so that's why you don't really want to know some of these things because then you'll understand where you're going through, what you're going through. I had this one guy tell me about his past life. And he said, you know, he kept seeing scenes, scenes of the, when he was like a, a native American and crossing a river, then someone would shoot him. And uh, he was a a, a, a woman at the time and kill her in the middle of the river. And then another time he was going through it, like he's running away from some battle had a baby in his arms. Again, he was a woman in that life shot right killed and he goes <laughs> and he was it had a good humor about it he goes I was I kept seeing myself killed I go well you know why he goes no why it goes well because in those lives that you saw you saw yourself killed because in other lives you killed he goes yeah so this is what happens. so when you if you do have a regression you know, think about this. Think of what you saw for every action, there's a reaction. Whatever you saw, something you did to make that happen. And whatever happened in that last life, think about what the effects still are in your present life. And in fact, spiritualism says we shouldn't even do this. Because, and of course, people say, well, how can I improve? I don't know what I did in my past life. And the answer is, the spirit world is so smart and just they will find ways to manipulate the environment and the situation to provide the stimuli for you to learn what you need to learn. Believe me, that is that they do all the time. If you need if you need to find out what it felt, you know, if you rob someone and you need and what your lesson now in this life is what it feels like, what it's like to be robbed. Well, they will have it happen. And now, when you go through that experience of being robbed, per se, you will take that with you to your spirit life, and you will take that instinct and that feeling to your next life, and that's one more one more thing you'll have. And it's all these small little graduations and years and years and it's thousands of lives that you will evolve to be a higher spirit. You don't go through one life become a saint, right, Mother Teresa wasn't like this primitive spirit and in one life she became this wonderful giver no that she built up to that okay let's go through the confessions of louis the 11th who's called the prudent okay the poisoning of the duke of guayne this is him telling his story i wonder if the other louis if he's talking to her the other uh, St. Louis was there helping the other king. Okay. Then I engaged with Gioian, Odette de Adides, the lord of Lasson. I'm probably pronouncing this incorrectly. I Forgive me. Who had curled with me, conducted the war preparations with a wonderful vivacity. It was with a great effort that he fed the warlike ardor of my brother Charles, the duke of Guyenne. He had to combat a fearful adversary, my brother's spirit, Lady Thor's Charles Lover. That woman was not trying anything else but to take advantage of the power she exerted over the young duke. Aiming at deviating him from the war, she did not ignore that the war's objective was her lover's wedding. His secret enemies had affected her by praising the beauty and brilliant qualities of the bride. This was enough to persuade her that her disgrace was certain if that princess married the Duke of Goyne. Sure about my brother's passion, she resorted to tears, prayers, and to every extravagance of, of a woman lost in such a situation. The coward Charles gave in and communicated his new resolutions to Lassoun. Lassoun immediately communicated to the Duke of Brittany and all, all others also interested. They became alarmed and sent representations to my brother. That did nothing but deepen him once again in his irresolution. The favorite, however, and not without difficulty, was able to dissuade him of the war and marriage again. Since since then, the death of the favorite was decided by all the princes. Afraid my brother would attribute her death to Lassoun, whose antipathy towards Mrs. Therouars was known to him, they decided to conquer Jean Foy de Voy, a Benedict monk, my brother's confessor and abbot of Saint Jean d'Anglais. This man was one of the greatest enthusiasts of Miss Thor's, and nobody ignored his hatred for Lassoon, whose political influence he envied. So this is, this is a court intrigue. So again, if you want to be a king or a queen, this is what you're going to get. You're going to get all these court intrigues, and you're going to get surrounded by horrible people. It was unlucky that my brother would attribute to him the death of his lover, since that priest was one of her favorites who deserved the greatest trust. So, already the people around his brother were saying, okay, he's got to go to war and we're going to get rid of the woman who's trying to stop him from going to the war and also marrying someone else. Since so his thirst for greatness was the only thing that attached him to the favorite, he was easily corrupted. He's talking about the, the monk. For a long time, I tried to seduce the abbot, but he always rejected the offers. However, he always left the impression that I would attain my goal. He easily noticed the situation he would find himself in by doing the service the princes requested from him. And he knew it would not be difficult then of them to get rid of an accomplice. On another hand, he's aware of my brother's instability and was afraid of becoming his victim. Compromising his safety with his interests, he decided to sacrifice his young master. Taking such, and this guy's a monk. This shows you the, the people. This is human nature. Taking such a side as he had many chances of success as failure to the princes, the death of the young duke of grain should be the result of an error or an unforeseen accident even when attributed to the duke of Brittany and his accomplices, the favorites death would go unnoticed so so to speak as nobody would discover the motives that gave it its real importance from a political point of view admitting that they could be accused my brother's death they would be exposed to the greatest danger once it had been their duty my duty to subver- Once, it would have been my duty to severely punish them. They knew I did not lack goodwill, and that the people could turn against them. Then the Duke of Burgundy, not knowing what happened in Guayne, would have been forced to become my ally, or to become accused of complicity. Even in this latest hypothesis, everything would have moved in my favor. I could have said that my brother, the Reckless, was a traitor criminal, leading the Parliament to condemn him to death by his assassination. Such condemnations, pronounced by a high tribunal, always had great results, especially when of an incontestable legitimacy. It is easy to see how much interest the princess had to manipulate the abbot. On the other hand, there is nothing easier than secretly eliminating him. (laughs) There's the machinations. But with me, the abbot of St. Jean had more chances of impunity. His service to me was of the greatest importance, particularly at that point in time as the formidable association which was forming, having the Duke of Gaon at the center, should infallibly lose me. The only means of destroying it was the death of my brother, which represented my salvation. He aspired the favors of Tristan, the hermit, thinking that by this he would be above him, or at least he would share my good graces and my trust in him. In fact, the princes have been imprudent enough to leave incontestable proofs of their guilt in his hands. There are multiple texts written in very vague terms, not being difficult to replace my brother's name by his favorite appearing between the lines. So the monk who's been uh, approached by the brother of the people who want to kill the brother is showing, Hey, these other people want to kill the brother. Now King Louis also wanted to kill the brother, and now he's trying out who he can pin it on. Giving me those documents, he pushed away any doubt with respect to my innocence. He thus subtracted the only danger for being on the Princess side and proving that I was wasn't by any means involved in the poisoning he would no longer be my accomplishment, exempted me from any interest in killing him. There is still the need to prove that he wasn't himself involved in all that this was a lesser of a problem for starters he was confidently under my protection. besides the princess did not have proofs of his culpability and he could fire he could backfire the accusations as slander. Once all that was taken into account, he sent me an envoy that pretended to have spontaneously come to tell me that the abbot of St. John was unhappy with my brother. I immediately saw the advantage I could take from such an event and fell into the trap prepared by the shrewd abbot. Not suspecting that the envoy could have been sent by him, I dispatched one of my untrustworthy spies. St. John represented so well his role that my envoy was deceived. Based on his report, I wrote the abbot in order to conquer him. He showed a lot of qualms, but although with some difficulty, I triumphed. He agreed to be in charge of the poisoning of my brother. I was so perverted that I did not hesitate in committing such a horrific crime. Henry de la Roche, Duke's squire, was in charge of preparing the peach that would be offered by the abbot himself, the Miss Thors. While enjoying a lunch at the table with my brother, the beauty of that fruit was notable. She drew the prince's attention and shared it with him. They had just eaten when Miss Thors felt excruciating pain in her stomach, soon expiring amidst terrible sufferings. My brother experienced the same symptoms, but with much less violence. It may perhaps seem strange that David had used such means to poison his master. Truly, the minor incident could spoil his plan. It was, however, the only one, author- the only one authorized by prudence, as it admitted the possibility of mistake. Touched by the quality of the peach, it was natural that Miss Tullis called the attention of his lover, of her lover, and offered him half. He therefore could not refuse eating it, meaning that he would eat only a small piece. This would be sufficient to provoke the initial symptoms needed. A posterior poisoning could determine his death as a consequence of the first one. The princes were taken by horror as, soon as they heard about the dismal poisoning failure of the favorite. The princes were t- They were not in the least suspicious of the abbot's premeditation. They only thought of giving the young lady's death and the disease of her lover a natural appearance. None of them took the initiative of trying an antidote to the unfortunate prince, afraid of association. In fact, such an attitude would indicate knowledge about the poison, and consequently, that someone was accomplished in the crime. Thanks to his youth and strength of temper, Charles resisted longer to the poison. His physical sufferings did nothing but drive him back to his old projects with more intensity. Afraid that his illness could diminish the zeal of his officers, he wanted them to renew their oaths of fidelity as he demanded they should swear allegiance to him against everything and everyone, even against me. Some of them, on fearing death, would seem close, refused to obey, changing sides to my court. Observation In the previous issues, we saw interesting details given by Louis XI with respect to his death. The fact that we have just reported is not less notable from a historic point of view as well as respect to the phenomenon of manifestations. In fact, we had only difficulty regarding the choice. The life of this king, as dictated by himself, is incontestably the most complete that we have, and we can say the most impartial. The state of the spirit of Louis XI allows him to appreciate things in their just value today. By the three chosen fragments, one can see how he passes judgments onto himself. He explains his politics better than any of the historians. He does not acquit himself for his behavior, and in his death, so sad and common to such a powerful monarch, a few hours earlier he sees an anticipated punishment. As for the phenomenon of manifestations, this work offers a special interest. It proves that the spirit manifestations can enlighten us about history as long as we know how to position ourselves in favorable conditions. We hope the publication of Louis XI's life, as well as the not less interesting of Charles VIII, equally concluded, may soon be placed side by side with that of Joan of Arc. And of course, again, this is what's interesting to find the, the, the true inside story of history. And in fact, this is why I'm excited about, if, if I get the chance, of going to like the libraries in the spirit world. Because in the libraries they have history, and in the books you can actually submerge yourself into history and be there, like at the Battle of Waterloo, and and here, and know what people are thinking, what people are doing, and focusing on different things. You can get a three hundred and sixty degree and all the thoughts all around you of 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 what people are doing, actions, thinking, planning, everything. So just think how. How interesting that would be! I mean, I, I can't see how you'd be bored for long. Um, of course, you have a, a you know eternity to do this. By then, you'd be doing other things and going to probably more interesting planets. But it just shows you the the breadth of that that they can do that because every thought, everything is recorded from everybody. So, as we were told by uh, the Spirit of Manuel, every thought is recorded. Now, what is that? Now, think of what that means. This huge universal database. Everything you think, and how many billions of thoughts you have every every minute, every second, and how many trillions and quadrillions to the whatever degree of humans on Earth and all their thinking is all stored. And the other all the who knows how many throngs of 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 human-like spirits that are also being recorded on other planets and other galaxies. This shows you the complexity and the size and the vastness of the spirit universe, the spirit realm. And th- so think about that for a second. Think we're just on this little earth that we are that we are here and that we are being followed and we're being analyzed. And, and everything we're doing will be analyzed when we pass over. And I go, okay, this is what this person needs to learn in their next life. So you are building, maybe unbeknownst to you, but now I'm telling you, You are building the trials and tribulations of your next life. If you want less drama, try to learn whatever you can in this life and try to treat everyone and don't create conflicts and don't create enemies. Because whenever you have enemies, the spirit world will try to resolve it and it can resolve it in this life or the next life or the life after that. So if you want to understand more about the spirit realm, I suggest you read the spirit realm. Spiritism has revealed the reality of our existence. It will tell you about the spirit realm, the size and complexity, which I can only hint at the physical world, which is a subset of the spirit realm. And it's, it's you know, look at this physical universe really as a simulator, a very complex flight simulator. If if you'd like that, we are in this ride and that we are not really in this world but we have all the inputs and stimuli that take us this world like like the matrix and um we're here to learn that's we're not here to to have yachts our great wealth our fancy cars we're here to modify our character and personality for the better we are here to rewire our brain so we try and and respond to any experience with calmness, love, charity, fraternity, and honesty, not with anger. We can be indignant. We can say, nope, I'm not, you're not going to, you know, we don't have to be pushovers. We can say, no, that's not going to happen, right? We say, sorry, you're not allowed to be that abrasive to me. You don't have to be a pushover, but you don't, but you don't yell and strike out. Anyway, um, I just want to thank everyone for being here today, and uh, God bless. And have a happy rest of the new year. God bless.